Welcome to Reveal Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Ephesians chapter 1, if you don't mind, Ephesians chapter 1, I'm sure this is a chapter that's becoming very familiar to you, and I hope so. I hope you're taking it into your heart and that you're, you're studying it and... and uh, Yeah, we're going to read the thing and then we're going to the special. It's exactly what we're doing. We're going to read the Bible, then we're going to the special. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so if you would, take your Bible. Stand very quickly with me. Let me read the verse. Then we're going to have the special sung. And then I'm going to go over and figure out what I'm doing next. How about that? So let's read. i tell you what, we're going to cut it short because I can't wait to hear the special. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. And it reads like this. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the spirit of promise, that Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Pray with me. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we have read Your Word, and I ask now that as the special comes and, and as she sings, Father, that You just set in our hearts this Word along with that music that she's about to honor and glorify You with, Father, and then You open our spiritual ears that we may hear. Hear Your still, small voice today. And to You be the praise and the glory of it all. This we pray in the name of Your precious Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would, how about be seated? Without that echoing on the stage there. All right, back to our Bibles. Thank you so much for that. I'm glad we didn't miss that song. I have never heard that, but I love that. That was beautiful. Beautiful song. All right, this morning, let's pick up where we have been in the book of Ephesians. And as you realize, we worked through the first uh, 11 or 12 verses, I guess it was, in the first five months or so that I was here. And now we've moved. We're really escalating along. We moved over about the 13th or 14th verse. This first part of the book of Ephesians is very important to us to understand God's work in our life and why we were saved and how we were saved. And, and remember we talked about the doctrine of election and justification and redemption. And, and it's all pointing towards our ultimate glorification when Christ come back or comes back. And if you remember I told you starting in the third verse of the first chapter of Ephesians all the way to the 14th verse was one big long sentence. Once Paul got started and he took off right and he couldn't stop and he went all the way through verse 14. So 13 and 14 is kind of the culmination of what he was saying since verse 3 all the way back at the very beginning of, of, the, of the first chapter there. And a couple of weeks ago we started out as we were looking at our guarantee of inheritance in these two verses. And we started out talking about who receives this inheritance. For it's important to understand that there are certain ones who receive and certain ones who don't. And if you remember in verse 11 where I started this morning, it says, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance. So we talked about the fact to gain the inheritance God has in store for us, we must first be in Him. To be in Him, you must have the application of what started in verse 3 through verse 10. The election of God, the understanding that you were chosen, that you were a sinner, lost and dying and headed to hell. And the only way out of that was through Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, and receiving Him as your Savior, your, your uh, substitutionary 
person. Instead of there being a lamb that was put to death, a physical lamb with four legs, there was a two-legged lamb, so to speak, the lamb of God that was hung upon a cross for your sins. And those things may have, must have taken place in your life for you to be in Him, to be in Christ. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Then we moved to last week, whenever I told you that I decided to go to bed Saturday night without a sermon since God wouldn't give me one. And I got up Sunday morning about four o'clock and I worked out this just what I thought was a great sermon. And when I stepped into the pulpit last week, I had last, the, the week before's notes with me because I had left a little piece off that week I was going to start with. Lo and behold, that's the only piece that we use. Just funny how God works. And I don't know about you, but it was miraculous to me to understand that how do you know that you're in Him? Because it tells us that we're in Him, He chose us, but how do you know? Those are both objective things. When, when God tells you something, there's a law, there's a proof of it. God says this as a fact. Those are objective, but what's the subjective? Because we as human beings love the subjective fact, that feeling, that being able to do those things. The subjective fact of our, our salvation, how do we know subjectively we're saved? It's because we're filled with the Spirit. It's not a second feeling that happens at some other time, as some denominations say. It's not a feeling that gets redone. When you are saved, you are completely filled with the Holy Spirit. Completely. God doesn't give you anything halfway. Now, are there times that that Spirit is less evident in your life? Absolutely. I think anybody as a Christian would say there's times in your life that you have sinned and you have quenched that Spirit in your life. You have, you have caused that Spirit not to be as active or as present in your life. And last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5.22. If you remember those fruits of the Spirit, that you would be filled with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. Those are the things we talked about last week. And I told you this. As we ended last week, are, I asked you a question, actually. I said, are those characteristics that are present in your life? Do you want to know if you really are in Christ? Do you want to know if you're actively being a participant in what Christ is doing? Well, are those fruits of the Spirit evident in your life? See, there is no way you can pick one or two. Because actually the way it's phrased, it said the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's out of love that all the others flow. So those must be present in your life. So that is who has received the inheritance. That's good news. But then what is that inheritance that Paul speaks about here um, in this particular verses? You notice he said it there in verse 11 when he said, In him we, uh, also we have attained an inheritance. It says, Being predestined to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So that's one place he mentions it. But then he moves in that verse 13 and 14 and he says, In him you also trusted, in other words, objectively, Fact proof, you trusted, you're in Him. So it goes on to say, after you heard the word of truth, so how did you come to know who Christ was? How did you come to know the need in your life? The word, the word of truth. How are you saved? You hear the word of truth. The Holy Spirit works in your life through that word of truth. And what is the word of truth? Actually, if that was a capital W there, we'd recognize that word as being Christ, as it says in, in John 1. But actually, the word of truth is mentioned here is the word from Scripture. That word that's orotated from a, a podium, from a person who sits across the table with you at lunch, a person who comes into your home and, and shares the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's that word of truth. And how do I know that? Because it goes on to say the gospel of your salvation. So you're in Him because you've heard the word, the gospel of salvation. Um, and having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that's that Holy Spirit we talked about last week that sealed you by filling you. And he goes on in 14 and he says, 
who, talking about the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee of our inheritance. Well, what is that inheritance? I know when we think about inheritance, when we talk about inheritance from a physical standpoint, normally inheritance to us is someone dies and they leave us something. Someone passes away and there's something there for us. And when do you normally find out what that something is? It's at the reading of the wheel, right? Some rich person passes away and all the family comes and gathers for the reading of the wheel because they want to know what their piece of the pie is. Isn't that how it works? They have arguments and fights over who gets such and such. But if a lawyer sits down and he takes, he takes the time with the person before they pass away and he makes up this wheel and he says, this is going to go to Peggy and this is going to go to Fred and that over there is going to James and I'm giving this part to the church or to charity and there's this wheel laid out that tells what this inheritance is. In other words, these things that are left behind. Aren't you glad to know that God has told us a little bit about our inheritance in the Word? You know, there's so much He hasn't told us. But there's enough that he tells us in the word that we should get extremely excited about what God has in store for us. Keep in mind, this inheritance, though, is not something that we are waiting for. We are not waiting for this inheritance. We're not looking for the time the wheel is going to be read. How do I know that? Remember verse 11 I just read. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. It's a time past. It's somewhere in the past. We've already been given this inheritance. There's not a thing you can do that's going to change what you get from God. Did you hear me? There's not a thing you can do that's going to change what you can get from God. Why do I repeat that? Most Christians live day to day trying to keep that scale balanced between the good and bad in their life. Am I right? Every time you do something bad, you show up at church both Sunday morning and Wednesday night. So how do I know the bad ones? They're here with me on Wednesday night. They're trying to overcome the things. And thank the Lord they are because I'm here on Wednesday night. But you're constantly trying to keep the scale balanced. As if there's anything you can do to change your stance in Christ. You see, if you remember, you were chosen. You were chosen before the foundation of the earth. Before the foundation of the world. To be God's. You were chosen before the foundation of the earth to be covered in the blood that flowed from Christ's body from a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. You were chosen to be taken out of slavery, redeemed to be one of the saved, saved, paid for by God, not by you. You were chosen, you were predestined before time began to have an inheritance. There's not a thing you can do to change that inheritance. So you may say, what is the inheritance? You know, it's kind of hard to really figure out exactly what the inheritance is, but there are several places in the scripture that it tells us about this inheritance. Look with me over at 1 Corinthians. Just flip back just a couple of books there in your Bible. If you're not used to flipping back and forth, you will be by the time we leave this morning. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to look here starting in uh, verse 6. Starting in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And it says this, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
He goes on to say, But as it is written, and this quote is out of Isaiah 64 and 65, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man. What does it mean to enter into the heart of a man? That's your imagination. So imagine with me this morning, what would glory be like? What will heaven be like? What will eternity with God be like? You know what I know about what you just imagined? It falls far short of what it's going to be. How do I know that? Because it tells us you can't see it, you haven't seen it, you haven't heard it. You can't even imagine what heaven's going to be like. It's a place that's unimaginable. See, he goes on to say, but God has revealed them to us in verse uh, 10. God has revealed uh, them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. So the things we do know about this inheritance, this what is to come as well as what is we already have here, is being revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. How can the Holy Spirit reveal it to us? Because we're filled with that Holy Spirit. See how these things tie together? He goes on to say in verse 11, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. So in other words, he's saying your spirit is communing with the Holy Spirit. how you know, because he goes on to say, Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. It's so great what is in store for you, your inheritance, that the only person that knows is God. In the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought, just sat and thought how wonderful heaven will be? Now think how short that falls of what it's really going to be. What an awesome thought. See, we've never seen it. We've never heard anything about it. Our minds were, it was impossible for our minds to even comprehend it. Flip with me over to 1 Peter. I love what he says about it back here in 1 Peter. It's toward the back of your Bible, right before you get to 1 John, before you get to Revelation. If you get to Revelation, hang a left for a couple of books and you'll run into 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Starting in verse 3 of chapter 1 of, of Peter. And this is Peter the apostle writing. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's stop right there. What's he praising? Look at what he's praising. He's saying, praise God. And it's because of his mercy, because of his mercy, he begot us to a living hope. In other words, there's a living hope for us. There's not death looking us in the face. It's living hope. And it's done through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So what he's saying, the guarantee that you are going to have an inheritance and that you have a life of hope is the fact that Jesus cannot be found in a tomb. He rose from the dead and lives forever at the right hand of his father. And that's how he starts this. He moves on to say in verse 4, to an inheritance. So in other words, he raised Christ from the dead and it's in him that we have this inheritance. And what does he say about it? He says it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. And that does not fade away. 
and that is reserved for you in a place called heaven who are kept by the power, and which power is that? Of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a couple of things we understand about this inheritance. Number one, he tells us it'll be fully revealed to us in the last time. Fully revealed. Not that you don't have part of it now. Part of your inheritance now is that hope of God in the future, the the life in Christ that we're given, the fact that we have now within us this, this spirit that helps us deal with this sin that surrounds us and tries to live in this body that we're in. We have part of that inheritance now, but ultimately that full inheritance will be revealed at the end of time. When Christ comes back, he tells us that it's going to be revealed to us. But he also says there in verse 4 that that inheritance, that inheritance is two things. It's incorruptible and it's undefiled. I find both of those words awesome. Incorruptible, if you happen to look it up in a dictionary, it's defined two ways. Not susceptible to corruption, especially by bribery, which I found was really interesting. It's honest honorable, trustworthy, moral, virtuous. So to be incorruptible, that means you're, you're not susceptible to corruption. How does most corruption happen? If we think about our government, which is a great place to look for corruption because they give us tons of examples. I'm the only one that apparently noticed that. But anyhow, if you look at our government, how does corruption happen? Just in the passing of laws and bills and things, we have these guys who show up and they lobby for certain things. What are the things they lobby for? The things that they think are in your best interest? No, the things that are in their best interest. They have these lobbyist groups that show up and say, hey, I know this bill's being passed, but we'd like to get a little money to, to look at catfish that are growing in a pond down the street down here. We should better do it for eight or ten million dollars. You mind adding that in for me? And they lobby this guy. It's not the request that gets it done, it's the bribery generally that works it out for them. That's called being corruptible, not incorruptible. And I find it kind of interesting that the word says there first in in Peter, when it talks about this this inheritance for us, it mentions that it's incorruptible. You know what that tells me? It can't be bought. It can't be bought. There's not a thing you can do to gain the inheritance. See, we as Christians tend to think we need to help God out just a little bit. For many of us, we believe salvation for many years was shown best by how good you were. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of folks headed to hell that are good people. Sat down just this week and shared the gospel with someone and asked them where they stood in Christ. You know what their answer was to me? I'm a good person. I said, okay, you're a good person that's going to spend eternity in hell. Let's talk about Jesus again. And their answer was, I'm a good person. They were solely judging their acceptance of God on their ability to be good. If it's based on you, there is no salvation. See, salvation only comes through the belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ which is incorruptible. It can't be bought. It wasn't done for you because you paid for it. As a matter of fact, it was done because it was bribe money that was paid to someone to identify who he was so he could be hauled off to a cross in the first place. It was done in corruption. It was done by those who didn't understand who he was. Had they have known who he was, we just read a while ago, they'd have never killed him in the first place. But you see... That inheritance for us is incorruptible. The second definition of incorruptible is not subject to death or decay, but everlasting. So isn't it nice to know that your inheritance can't be bought and that it will never perish 
It'll never die. It'll never decay. It's everlasting. It never changes. From before the world ever began, the inheritance was set in place. And that same inheritance and its same value and its same greatness will exist the day that we're called home. It doesn't diminish with time. It doesn't tarnish. It forever will be incorruptible, both in the fact it can't be bought and the fact that it doesn't diminish. But then he mentions the word undefiled. He says that 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 inheritance is undefiled. Whenever I looked up undefiled in the dictionary, it gave one very simple uh, definition. It said, pure, not made dirty. Pure, not made dirty. See, many times we try to make the inheritance of God a dirty thing. Pastors are notorious for it. Pastors are notorious for taking what God has given them and turning it into something dirty. How do I know that? How many guys have you ever seen stand on a stage before a camera and say, if you'll just send me $20, I'll send you a clipping off of this cloth. And if you use that cloth when you pray, you'll be healed. See, that's taking the incorruptible, undefiled inheritance of God, the gift of preaching, the gift of the ability to understand the word and expound that to others and using it for your own gain, which is corruption and defiling. They're taking something that was meant for good and making it for evil. But you see, when we think about our inheritance in Christ, we've got to realize that inheritance is incorruptible. It's completely undefiled. There is nothing in it. There's no spot of dirt. There is no wrinkle in this this inheritance. This inheritance is perfect. Why is it perfect? Because it's from God. As a matter of fact, there are six points, and we'll squeeze these six points in in the next eight and a half minutes. I promise probably won't make it. There's six points about this this inheritance I want you to take home with you. These are not in order of importance. The very first one is the most important, but then we'll wrap up with with what I think is going to be long-term most important for us. The very first of the six truths about our inheritance is that it's not touched by sin. You're going to have to uh, flip quickly in your Bible, but Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21 If you happen to have a bulletin, you might want to stick it in this chapter because we're going to be coming back here. If not, just steal your friend's bulletin and stick it in there. They're just using it to draw notes on anyway. Apparently nobody was listening to that one either. We'll scratch both of those jokes there, Joe, if you'll write those down. Okay, we'll take both of those out. But chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, starting in verse 1, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immortal, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake 
which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So what is the first point that I draw out for you for our inheritance? Our inheritance, thank God, is not touched by sin. Do you see it there? It's not touched by sin at all. For all of those who are sin laden, those who have chosen sin above a Savior, those that are cowardly, unbelieving, abdominal, murderer, sexually immature, and immortal, and the list goes on and on and on. That list of those that were sinners that never chose Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will not see New Jerusalem. They will see a place called hell. They will spend eternity in this lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And it will be their second death. Their ultimate separation from God forever. But for those of us who know Jesus, those of us who are in Him, who have the promise of that inheritance, look what He tells us in verse 4 about what we get. He says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know one of the things about our inheritance? There will be no more crying. There will be no more tears. He says then, there will be no more death. Hallelujah. To think the day that we inherit fully, when our inheritance is fully revealed to us, there will be no more death. He goes on to say, there'll be no more sorrow. Have you laid your head on your pillow lately with tears flowing from your eyes for someone that you're sorrowful for? Someone you're worried about. See, it tells us when we reach heaven, there'll be no more sorrow. He says, matter of fact, there'll be no crying. There'll be no tear from your eyes. He goes on to say, there'll be no more pain. How many of you got up this morning hurting? How many of you got up to, felt like your bones were going to crack when you bailed out of the bed and you headed to church? How many of you had just snap crackles and pops or a headache going on or maybe something physically wrong with your body this morning and you just felt, you know what, I just wish these aches and pains would go away. Got good news. The day Christ calls you home, there will be no more pain. No more pain. And why? He tells us at the end of verse 4 there, he says, For the former things have passed away. You see, whenever... Jesus comes to get us, there'll be a whole new world. There'll be a whole new place. There'll be a place that's so unimaginable that we can't even fathom a thought about it. But we do know those few things about what it'll be. We also know that not only will there be no more sin, but there'll be this knowledge. There'll be this knowledge that we don't have now. Flip backwards with me back to 1 Corinthians, if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Don't do like I just did. Make sure there's a one in front of that 1 Corinthians or you'll be in the wrong book. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting verse 11. It says this, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So he's looking at this transition from being a lost sinner into a mature Christian. This, this moving from a loss to a child to growing through the faith and becoming this mature Christian. And he says this um, in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly. So we're looking at things. We're looking at things, but we're looking in this mirror and there's, there's this kind of a haze. It's kind of like being at the public restroom up here at the gas station in the corner. You want to go up and look at yourself, 
it's going to be kind of hazy because nobody bothers to clean off the mirror very much. So you're looking at this mirror and it's dim. But then it says in the second part of verse 12, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. See, one of the beautiful things about our inheritance, this limited knowledge that we have in our human body will disappear. We will know even as we're known. Questions often arise. They love to ask the pastor things like, will I know my husband who passed away years ago and, and is now in heaven? And will I know this person in heaven? And You know, Scripture tells us we will know as we have never known. Ever. The blinders of sin will be removed from your eyes and you'll see. You'll see all the reasons you suffered on earth. You'll see all the reasons loved ones went on before you. You'll see all those things, but more importantly, you'll see Jesus for who He really is. You have this knowledge, this knowledge of Christ like you've never had before. You know, it also tells us we'll be unblemished. If you'll flip forward to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 with me. So not only will there not be sin, but we'll have this knowledge, but we'll also be unblemished in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Right there at the very end, down in verse 25. This is a section that I know that the women and men so much like in the church, and we'll get to it. It's talking about marriage and Wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving your wives. And we're going to pick on the husbands this morning in verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So he starts off with this point. He says, Men, you're to love your wives. But the point I want to make out of it is Christ so much loved you, the church, that he gave up his life. That's the point we're going to work from. And it says this, That he might sanctify and cleanse her, which is you, the church, with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I can't wait for the day that I stand before my father holy and without blemish. See, part of our inheritance will be a new body. It's no longer racked with the sin of this world. It's no longer defiled with that sin. We'll stand with Christ as his bride, as his church, before God, unblemished, holy. What a glorious day. But not only do we have the truth of no more sin, perfect knowledge, our unblemishedness, but we also have rest. Look with me in Hebrews. Look with me in Hebrews. Continue to twi- flip towards the end of your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains... Of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So he's saying they heard the exact same truth you heard, but they weren't saved because they didn't have faith. You were saved because you had faith. And he moves on to say in verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest, As he has said, this is from Psalm 95, So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, talking of those who didn't have faith to believe. And he goes on to say, Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken at a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place they shall not enter my rest. Verse 8, Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, 
today, after such a long time as it has been said, again from Psalm 95, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For he goes on in the next verse and says, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Part of our inheritance will be a glorious, eternal rest. Now, will we look like most of you guys on a Sunday morning when I'm preaching and you're resting even as I speak? No. You won't be nodding off. You won't be laying down in the pew. You won't have your wife bumping you because you're trying to stay awake. What you will do is you will rest from that battle with sin. How many of you need a rest from the battle with sin? You know, most of our life is consumed by fighting that devil around us. Those things that our body desires to do, but our spirit tells us we shouldn't. Part of that inheritance for us in the day that we're called home, there'll be no more battle between sin and holiness. Sin will be done away with. We'll be at perfect rest. He also tells us over in Revelation, not only are we going to be without sin and in perfect knowledge and unblemished and at rest, but in Revelation 21, as he talks about the ending of this time, he tells us over in verse 22, he says this, But I saw no temple in it, talking about the new Jerusalem, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is the light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bearing their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall be no, uh, by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So not only will there be no sin, there'll be perfect knowledge, there'll be this unblemished state of our bodies, we'll have this perfect rest, but we'll have eternal fellowship with the saints. You know, I can't wait. I can't wait to meet Paul. I've got this vision of who Paul is in my head. You know, he wrote over half of our New Testament, a lot of which people fight over day in and day out. They don't want to believe what he wrote, but God called him in a special way, put him in a special place. He had him write a special word to us, and I can't wait to just see him. I imagine him being a big hulking guy, but I think it's probably going to be funny if I walk up and he's about four foot tall and a little bitty thin fella. But I can't wait to see those saints. I can't wait to see those that have gone on from my family ahead. I can't wait to meet John, the writer of the book of Revelation. I can't wait to meet all those. I can't wait to spend eternity with you. With you worshiping our Savior perfectly. In perfect knowledge of each other. In perfect holiness together. Unified in perfection. Worshiping a holy God forever. You see, there's going to be this new Jerusalem. And we're going to be fellowshipping with all those whose name is written in the book of the Lamb's book of life. But you know, there's one more important thing that we need to look at about our inheritance. Probably the most important thing of all our inheritance is not the fact there's going to be no sin. It's not even the fact that we know perfectly. It's not the fact that we're unblemished and spotless. It's not even the fact that we'll be in perfect rest. 
or that we'll fellowship with one another in perfection. But the greatest thing about our inheritance is a person. It's a person named Jesus Christ. You see, for all eternity, we'll sit at the feet of our Savior, worshiping, worshiping Him. And in Revelation 21, right there in that 22nd verse, it said that He saw the temple. There was no temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. When you show up at the temple in heaven to worship, you're showing up in Jesus. For Jesus will be our temple. Not only is it going to be the temple, but he tells us in the next verse, there'll be no sun or moon, because the Lamb, Jesus Christ, will forever be the light. He goes on to tell us there will be no more night. There will be continuous day because we'll be in the presence of the Holy of Holies. Jesus forever will be in his presence. Matter of fact, if you flip back probably just a page or just a few verses in your Bible, back to verse 9 of that same 21st chapter, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And who is that bride? It's us. It's that church. He goes on to say, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. So this entire city that's filled with the bride of Christ will have the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, And he who talked with me had a gold rod to measure the cities, its gates, its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And the measured, the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 154 cubits, ascending to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. He goes on to talk about that construction. He goes on to talk about the fact that it was filled with sardis stones. It was filled with different types of stones, different beautiful things. And all this, he said, let me show you something. He said, let me show you the bride. When you read the picture of this city, you're reading a picture of the bride of Christ. For what's going to make up this new Jerusalem? Us. You see, our inheritance will be to be in the presence of God, to be like Christ. So we strive today to be Christians, to be little Christ, to be like Christ in our life, but our life is defiled with sin, so we battle. The day that we're taking home and we're revealed to us the full inheritance, we'll be like Christ because we'll be in His presence, the glory of God forever. And we'll close with this in John 17. In John 17, it says this. 
17 to 24th verse. This is what Jesus prayed. This is right before Jesus was arrested, right before he was taken to the cross. He prayed this, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. You know what God's ultimate prayer for you, Jesus' ultimate prayer for you is? That you will be in his presence, that you will be in him eternally, forever. That you will be all that you were designed to be from the very foundation of the world when man was made perfect and walked in a garden daily with God. We will again return to that garden in a place called New Jerusalem. We will walk with him in perfection, glorification. For you see, the ultimate end of all that Christ is doing in your life is for you to be glorified so that you can be presented to the Father as a spotless lamb. And you can only do that by being in Christ. So what's our inheritance? Our inheritance is to one day spend all of eternity in the presence of our Lord and Savior and to be like Him. What earthly inheritance can compare? I would say none. None at all. Yet somehow we still grip that world. Sometimes with both hands. We hold on tight to what we have here not realizing there's a greater inheritance in place for us. We'll just let go. What should you let go of? Let go of sin in your life. Yes, I'm talking to you as a Christian. Let go of sin in your life. You see, because we're still trapped in this body that loves sin. And unless we fall on our face and ask God for forgiveness of that sin, repent of that sin and walk away, then we too love sin. You want to be all God wants you to be? Let go of that sin in your life. Church, I beg you. What would make the largest difference in the world we live in today is if God's bride started acting like it. If if the bride of Christ would understand the purity necessary to be that bride, For what bride accepts an invitation to be married to a man and goes out and finds another man in the process while she's waiting for that bride or for that groom to call her to the altar? Yet we do it every day, knowing that the groom could step out at any time and blow the horn, sound the trumpet, and shout with a loud voice, and all of us would be drawn home. Yet we live as if there's been no invitation to the party. Yet there has been an invitation. So this morning, as we pray, you ask for forgiveness of that sin. Pray with me. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your time with your folks this morning. And I thank you most importantly for your presence through your word in our hearts this morning. And as you spoke, as you spoke to me, as you spoke to those that are gathered here, now, Father, I ask this of you. For those that are your children here but haven't been living a life of holiness, 
I ask that you stir their hearts. You bring them unrest until they fall on their face before you and ask for forgiveness of that sin, knowing that you're faithful and you're just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us and go on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And also this morning, Father, I realize there are those that are here that may not have a relationship, may not be in Christ. For them, Father, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to stir their heart even now. Bring them to the understanding of their need for a Savior, and that Savior is your Son, Jesus Christ. Today, give them the faith to believe in what he did on that cross for them. And then, Father, for the faithful this morning, I ask this of you. You strengthen them. You continue to give them the strength to go out and live a holy life in this unholy world. To live undefiled in this defiled world. To live incorruptible in this corrupted world. To be a shining example of you. And you do that for your glory and your glory alone. All these things we pray in the name of your precious Son and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.